Hello, adoptees, friends and family of adoptees. I am the Rambler, Mike McDonald, your host of this podcast, of which you have chosen to listen to. And I thank you very much for choosing to listen to this show, which is a show where I, uh, for those of you who've never listened to it before, uh, interview one-on-one, no-holds-barred, candid conversations uh, with different adoptees, uh, transracial or international, of that variety. Uh, I myself am an adoptee from Korea, and today I have a great show for you. My guest is Katie Naftsker. Katie Naftsker is a Korean adoptee, like I just mentioned. She's a psychotherapist up in Newton, Massachusetts, and she has a book coming out. Yes, she wrote a book. It is called Parenting in the Eye of the Storm, The Adoptive Parent's Guide to Navigating the Teen Years. You can get that on Amazon. Did you know that? Or Barnes & Noble or anywhere books are sold. It's coming out on uh, March 21st. That's in two days. Two days from now, today, the air date of the show, the day I am recording this intro and later the outro. Uh, and it's pretty fascinating stuff. I think I get a lot of emails. Uh, I get a lot of questions from adoptive parents when I talk to them about uh, how, to, how to do things with their kids and, and build that relationship when things get difficult, which is <laughs> not to say that not the least uh, in, in the teenage years, I think. It's, it's hard. It's hard to be a teenager. It's hard to be an adopted teenager. And I think it's hard for the adoptive parents who are struggling with both of those things, <laughs> having a teenager in the house and an adopted teenager. And then, uh, you know, what's the difference between a teenager teenager issue and and an adoptee issue. I don't know. I often tell them I I can't really tell you because uh, I I don't have any kids. So (laughs) far be it from me to tell parents how to do their jobs. I can only tell you what I experienced as a teenager. You know, it was it was tough. My teenage years were tough. I think they're tough on everybody who likes being a teenager. I don't know. Some people are into it. I think some people like being a teenager. I wasn't really into it. Uh, it was, it was pretty rough. I was happy when I was like 18 and getting out of the house and, uh, going to college where I could have a fresh start and get away from the town that I grew up in. Sorry, Hillsborough. Wasn't that into you, but that is neither here nor there. And you will hear more about that later during this episode. So if you, uh, know any adoptive parents are an adoptive parent of a teenager or a preteen and you're getting ready to get into those years, or uh, are you just curious about the subject? Then you can listen to this this episode. It's going to be very good for you. I think you'll like it. Uh, what else? What else? Oh, the Korean American Adoptee Network Conference, CON. That thing is coming up in, uh, in June. It's going to be in Pittsburgh. I've been told to uh, let you guys know to check that out. You can get more information at kaanet.org. That is kaanet.org. Org. The Korean American Adoptee Adoptive Family Network is what it's called. And uh, it's going to be June 23rd through the 25th. Again, that's going to be in Pittsburgh. Pitts- Vicksburg and the Pittsburgh. Vicksburg and the Pittsburgh. Does anybody, anybody remember that? Probably not. I think that was from, uh, what's it called? That Thing You Do. That was a good movie. You see that one? That Thing You Do? What else? Oh, hey, I don't know if you guys know this. But uh, Pauline Park, who's another Korean adoptee, she's a transgender Korean adoptee, and she has a documentary coming out, a a half-hour documentary. It's a quick one 
called Coming Full Circle, The Journey of a Transgendered Korean Adoptee, about her 2015 trip to Korea. And you can find out more information at LarryTung.com. That's L-A-R-R-Y-T-U-N-G.com slash coming-full-circle.html. Uh, it looks like that's going to be screened. They're going to be have a screening on April 2nd at 11 a.m. somewhere in Manhattan. So uh, you can check that out. I'm sure you could follow uh, her on Twitter and Facebook under Pauline Park at Pauline Park, Facebook.com slash Pauline Park, New York, or PaulinePark.com. And, uh, you know, if, if you uh, enjoy it, if you go and you check it out and you like what you see, then uh, tell her to come on the show. I'd love to have her on the show to have her share her story in a very broadcasty, podcasty kind of way. You know what we do here. You understand what I'm what, what's happening. In, in any case, uh, what happened last month, we did our adoptee forum for AKA. That I hosted, thank you AKA for letting me do that about adoptees and adoption in the media. It was very good. I had a great turnout. I was not expecting that many people to come, so I met a lot of new people. It's pretty awesome, and then old old faces as well that are that are good friends. I consider to be good friends. So thanks for coming out to that. Uh, we did say we were going to try to do a screening of Lion at some point. I, I still haven't really moved on that. I'm going to be honest. Uh, and I don't know how often, how long it's going to stay in theaters, but I, I want to watch it and then gauge a uh, live, like roundtable panel type podcast uh, with a couple of guests after watching it to get their thoughts on the film. Maybe when it comes out on like iTunes or something, we could do we could do a show. We could screen it and then we could do a, a live show in person or something. I don't know. We'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. AK, not a big deal. Uh, and that's about all that's new, I guess. Went to uh, Brooklyn Boulders yesterday in Queensbridge with uh, also known as the Teen and Youth Mentorship Programs. I gotta say, it was pretty awesome. It's a good event. I like the rock climbing. They have this auto belay system. It's super rad because I'm not a certified belay and uh, neither are any of the other adults, I guess, there that go to uh, to, to mentor. And uh, it's pretty sweet. It's like this like you know, retractable machine that makes sure you don't fall off the wall and die from like 30 feet up and they have varying difficulties. It was, it was a rad event. I liked it a lot. Anyways, if you're ever in the uh, Queensbridge area, Long Island city or in Brooklyn, which is, I think where the original location is, you should check it out. Brooklyn boulders is super cool and it's a good time. It's a good workout. My arms were super tired afterwards. It's a good workout. Work on your grips. My grips. I got to work on my grips. It's very difficult sometimes. But it was a fun event. And uh, if you want or looking for an activity to do, maybe with your significant other or uh, your kids or whatever, I suggest going there. It's, it's a cool place. Uh, wear gym clothes. I wore jeans. It was a poor life decision. Um, yeah. So check that out. All right. Let's just get to the show. Let's just get to the show, Okay. Listen to this great conversation I had with Katie Naftsker, uh, and enjoy it, okay? You go ahead and enjoy. Enjoy. My feelings on therapy and everything. Do you feel like the show is therapeutic? Okay, well... 
I think it's therapy. So here's the thing. So so this is the thing that I say. Wait, are we? Okay. This is the thing that I say about adoption, which is um, <clears throat> no words, no witnesses, and no documentation. Right? So, so explain that. So um, yes, I do think it's therapeutic because you're mm-hmm. trying to find words for things that have previously been wordless. And um, you um, have a witness to those to those feelings and thoughts, and um, and now there's documentation. So yes. So I, the I, rambler is doing therapy whether he likes it or not, basically. The, right. And now, right. Now I'm talking about myself in the third person, which is yes comes with its own slew of problems. Disturbing. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> <laughs> it's a little much, but <laughs> but yeah. Anyway. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. good. Excellent. I, I hope that I'm it. I don't know if it's therapeutic for my guests. Uh, and you're, you're, you can tell me later if, if this mm-hmm. is therapeutic for you or not. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, I find it like, uh, I find it therapeutic in a sense to talk with kindred spirits and, uh, you know, t- talk about adoption in a different way than people I think are used to hearing. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully it's a little bit therapeutic for, uh, the listeners, whoever they may be, uh, and you know, mostly for the adoptees out there who may not have as many resources as those of us in and around major metro areas, maybe right. uh, hopefully it's doing some good. Definitely, definitely. How many, how, how many episodes have you listened to? All of them. <laughs> uh, you know what? I think I dropped. I think I dropped off a little bit, like like a few months ago, because oh, I think yeah. the book thing was like fr- like consuming me mm-hmm. um but um but yeah i probably listened to like 10 or 12 oh yeah that's a good amount yeah it's good, it good. <laughs> have you always did you grow up around the boston area or did you immigrate to boston chicago chicago You're yeah chicago native Chi-town. i really yeah i really am i mean and chicago is so different from boston well there have it been is. all those killings and shootings but in other ways too <laughs> Um, in so many ways <laughs> in so many different ways they they really differ but um yeah i grew up in chicago and i went to school um and that was when i ended up leaving to go to skidmore and then i went to simmons for grad school and then i that's and i've been in boston ever since so. okay so we're gonna we're gonna rewind but you're so we're gonna go back way back to the beginning Mm-hmm. now you are a korean adoptee Yes. And which part of Korea were you born in? I mean, I was found in Seoul. Okay. So we're going to assume Seoul. Okay. So the assumption is Seoul. Yeah. Yeah. And Um, which organization were you adopted through in Seoul? I was Holt. Ah, yeah. Holt Kids. Mm -hmm. Yep. I know. We're everywhere. (laughs) We are. they They kicked this whole thing off. I know. Were you a Holt Kid? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was a Holt Kid for sure. So um, you had mentioned that you went to the camps. I did do the camps. Which camps did you do? Jersey. I, I did Jersey too. Jersey one anymore. Oh, really? No. When, when were you there? I think we were a little bit of a different time frame. <laughs> Maybe. But, um, <laughs> yeah, like, um, I'm trying to think. Maybe like, what, 89 or something? Was that the only year I, you went? I went for two years. Oh, okay. So like yeah. 89 and 90? Something like that. I don't know. What were your years? Did so you go? I, I just missed you. I think I started in 94. I want to say it was 94. Mm-hmm. Through like yeah. 99 or so. 
But um, but I had an amazing experience there, just for the record. I loved it. And you went to the Jersey one? Yeah. I guess they didn't really have too many other ones at the time, right? Well, I guess did they have the Oregon? Uh, I have. I, I don't know where that one's. They must have. Yeah, they must have had it, right? It wouldn't have just been New Jersey, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. So but you, yeah, no, those memories stand out pretty vividly for me still. So oh, it was yeah? just a big thing. So how old were you when you went to Holt Camp? You know what? I think I was. Um, I think I was going into seventh and eighth, maybe. Mm-hmm. So whatever that age is, you know, twelve, like twelve, thirteen, thirteen. Yeah, so you're mm-hmm. like that. a young adolescent. But yes, yes, <laughs> well, that did, well, what that were the did experiences that are very vivid for you at, at Holt Camp? I mean, you know. Um, well, actually, to be honest, the the experience that stayed with me was after I left because my parents didn't come to pick me up because they're in Chicago. And so we had a so I had a um like family that came to pick me up. Uh-huh. Another another family. Was it like actual family, like extended family or was this like family no, friends? No, it wasn't my family. It was just a family that holds. It was a family. <laughs> it was another family, literally. Oh, a completely okay. other family. <laughs> And um, it was a really weird, like, foster care experience. Because, yeah, so I went home with them, basically, who after the camp. I don't remember who they were. Um, but I just remember that he that we played a lot of video games. And it was really fun. But, um, but and then I remember that their cat, I mean, I really felt like a foster care child. I, like, it was a very nice home. But, and um, so their cat came in in the morning and put his paw on my nose it was so cute but that's not what I I, that wasn't the main thing which is that I was really upset and I I think it was just the whole kind of you know emotional overlay of the week and then the fact Mm -hmm. that I was with this foster family (laughs) and it was just really weird but um but anyway yeah so that's that's pretty much that how long were you with them after Holt camp you know they just took me to the airport oh okay so it was, it was a very short amount of time Yes, just overnight. Overnight from yeah. the camp to their house the and airport. to the airport. Mm-hmm. I see. Yeah. <laughs> With so cat. it was sort of a weird end. It was a weird. It was an interesting end, given that you know, it, you know, with the adoption theme and everything, you know. Mm-hmm. So was that your first time, like exploring those issues? No, um, no. So um, the thing that my parents, so my parents were really into um, diversity. Mm-hmm. And class stuff like, the, you know, so, um, you know, like every holiday we went to the soup kitchen and, um, you know, they went to the Martin Luther King. I have a dream speech before I was around, of course. Oh, wow. And, um, That's pretty rad. Yeah. I know. How cool is that? It's very cool. Uh, That's a part of history. It is. I know. I, I, sometimes I look at those pictures <laughs> like I think I see her. <laughs> but but <laughs> anyway, that's a whole other thing. But um and um yeah so they were pretty good about that but um wait what was the question again <laughs> was that I the can't. first time that you had uh been introduced to issues surrounding adoption so um so um well first of all i have a younger sister who's also korean and adopted okay uh, so that just brings it more into the forefront anyway mm-hmm. i mean even if you don't speak about it and then we also had um neighbors who had um uh two adopted kids uh african-american and so it was definitely in the mix yeah um but i was definitely in the era of no not no therapy that was for sure that wasn't Mm -hmm. like on the table or anything and and you know i mean 
obviously the time was completely different. I mean, we, we forget how little communication there was compared to now. I mean, they didn't have like forums or, you know, mm-hmm. you know, they called people or they went on the whole picnic. I mean, yeah. it was pretty much, <laughs> you know, everything was almost face to face. So it was a pretty, um, it was just a very different experience. We weren't saturated like we are now. Right. Yeah. So. How how much younger is your sister than you? She's two years younger. Okay. What is she doing? That's a good question. Um, she is a mom, and um, she's in New York actually. Park oh, Slope, really? I think, or Brooklyn? Or nice. isn't that is Park Slope in Brooklyn? Uh, yes, it is. Okay, so there, that makes sense. I just, I just, <laughs> yeah. uh, this is totally rambling. Just saw a news clip the other day that said some guy selling his parking spot in Park Slope for three hundred thousand dollars. Oh no! <laughs> yeah. Not only that, but apparently it went last year for eighty grand and sold. <laughs> or he's like leasing it. I'm not sure. Wow. Either Maybe way, that's in the wrong career. Number. Maybe I, you're in I, the wrong career. You could. <laughs> I know that's more money than I'm making a year. So. I mean, geez, you know, <laughs> someone knows what he's doing. Who <laughs> knew? Parking but, yeah. spot real estate. So she could be. Wow. Yeah, she could be selling her parking spot right now. Yes, that's true. For a good. I mean, she doesn't have one, but if she did, yeah. Oh, she should get one. I know she needs to get it. one and then sell it again. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, wow! There's going to be a TV show about that probably next. Yeah, definitely. It's like going to be flipping on true TV, you know, flipping the parking space. Yeah. <laughs> so she lives in Park Slope. Did she uh, involved? Did did she in, get herself involved in any adoption related stuff either? She or is two? not. She's not. You know, we went to the. Um, let's see. What was the most recent Korea gathering? Uh, uh, a few years ago, I think. Or maybe it was last year. I can't remember. No, it was a why. So not the Ica. Like anyway, we went to. We did go to a Korean. I think. I think it might have even been the first international. Well, anyway, it was when there were four hundred Korean adoptees, and there was press all over the place, and it was a huge thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so my sister and I did go to that. Okay, so I, was that her first uh, time doing that, or did she go to whole camp too? And no, she didn't do the whole camp. Just you. Yeah, and you know she yeah. It didn't really, she didn't really go down that road. I think she's definitely has a lot of turmoil about it. And so mm-hmm. it's such sort of a, t- like she doesn't really go into it. Yeah, in, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> kind of thing. No, yeah. yeah, I get it. I feel like uh, a lot, it's either one or the other with siblings. Like one of the siblings would be like really into it and the other one's totally not. And I, I don't know if you've ever met um, a family where both siblings are the same about that, but I never have. No, I don't think I have so far. Of course, right? I, I'm so, not the type of person who would meet somebody who they're both not into it. <laughs> like, I don't know what, in what capacity I would meet uh, two people who aren't into it. Who weren't in the adoption community. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is community. usually how I, I meet people. <laughs> who are but you might, pe- might meet people the other way. Like Right, yeah. And that, um, that I've seen. Hmm. I can't think of anybody off the top of my head where I'm like, oh, yeah, they were both really into it. Mm-hmm. Actually, there is one family. But anyway, other than that, no. They're, so, they're in the minority, though. Yeah, they're the exception, yeah, pretty much. Exactly. And I don't know if that's sort of um, by design that, mm-hmm. like, you know, if one sort of goes one direction with it, then the other doesn't care or the other one doesn't need to search or the other one doesn't talk about it or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but, Yeah. 
Yeah, weird. I don't know. What What is your professional opinion on that? Do you have one? Have you formulated one? I do. I think... Um, uh, I think that there might be kind of an urge to form your own adoption identity. And so you sort of unconsciously just, you know, read the room and figure out what you can do that's going to be specific to you. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah. And so if somebody's already into it, you're like, nah, I don't want to do that. I'm going to do right. my own thing. Right. Because I think I think kids do that with their parents, too. Like if parents are super into like anti-racism, you know, things or other kinds of political things. Mm-hmm. Often it feels like the kids aren't into that. Were you, you and know? your sister not into that? Because <laughs> you're like, I, I hate know. dreams. I'm like, well, you know. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, racism. And I was like, oh yeah, that sucks. Um, yeah, I know, and I feel I do feel sort of guilty about that because I I haven't brought my kids to a soup kitchen yet. Mm-hmm. So that's un- that's bad. I mean. That's yeah. Oh, that's bad. It's it's just I don't know. <laughs> it's just unfortunate that that didn't like I didn't take that that did, that yeah I I anyway. So you but guys I'm, are gonna go tonight. You're gonna go to a soup kitchen. Yeah, I know. You're clearly, I'm not. <laughs> I still haven't planned on that yet, so I can't really say that. You know. Anyway. How old are your kids? They're um ten and seven. Okay, they're pretty still pretty young. <laughs> they right. They're they are pretty young. They are pretty young. They um they both um have said that they're going to read the book. Oh yeah. Um, and um Are my you Chloe about that? Well, let me tell. You. So Chloe, so Chloe my daughter who's 10, mm-hmm. um she does read a lot, you know. So she so she's already into chapter 4 um of the book of eight chapters and she reads it like in her bed and stuff. Wow. But there is something in the book that's about the tooth fairy and um that it's not real. Well, sorry, I didn't, kids, if you're listening. I know, I know, spoiler alert. moms. I'm sorry. No, I know, and I, I just crushed so many dreams. I did, I did, and so, um, you know, I had so I used an example of a note that she wrote to the tooth fairy, uh-huh. which basically talked about how her tooth wasn't that good, and if she didn't get a present, she would understand. <laughs> it was so that is the saddest note I have ever heard in my life. <laughs> so heartbreaking and i don't even say that word heartbreaking um that much because you know anyway um my tooth isn't good i know it's really not good if you didn't give me a present i'll understand (laughs) i was like oh my you know god and i was sort of using it as an example of you know holding yourself accountable for to some degree for your children's behavior Uh uh-huh that you know I could just say, well, she's a perfectionist. <laughs> you know, like, she just really needs everything to be perfect. But really, you know, I had to kind of look at myself a little bit. Like, it was I sort of perpetuating this. So you had to, like, collect this note. I still have the note. And then but analyze it. I was traumatized by it. And, you know, the funny thing is I, you know, obviously I knew I was going to read it later. Mm-hmm. But um, she was writing this note. And I said, Chloe, can I, re- can I read it? She goes, no, it'll just upset you. <laughs> <laughs> so then I was even twice as interested, you know, and then I was totally traumatized by it. And um <laughs> so she was right. It was upsetting. Yeah, she was right. It was it was very upsetting. Mm-hmm. Um and well, I didn't say very upsetting, but anyway, so she um uh read this part of the book. Uh-huh. And um and so last night, literally last night, 
she said, um, I read that part about the tooth fairy. I was like, oh, really? Um, and she said, um, I always knew mommy was a tooth fairy. That's what she said. But then when, when it came to like, because the thing of the, the tooth fairies, once you know the tooth fairy isn't real, you kind of know that none of the other things. Yeah, the whole wall falls. It falls. It was like the Great Wall of China. <laughs> it was like it just, Easter Bunny, Santa yeah. Claus, all of it is fake. And you know what? Fake the Santa news. Claus thing really got to her. <laughs> okay. Oh, God. So did it all come like come at once? Does the whole paradigm shift? Like her reality was broken? Yes. <laughs> it, there's no yes. And it, now I'm doing really, the same thing to kids. Again, I'm sorry, kids. I know. <laughs> I know. It's, it's it really it's it's awful. Um, but you know what? She is in she fourth crushed? grade. She what the Santa thing. Yeah. The Santa thing for she got a little teary. Yeah. Was it like a is it like a big thing in your house? No, it's just a normal thing, you know. It's not like no. full of like elves on the shelf and like. Oh all my that. god! Oh my gosh! You know what? And you know what? That's really funny because we do do the we do our elf on the shelf is named Chippy. Okay. And we do do that, and I don't know if she's maybe that's why she was upset because they really <laughs> adore Chippy. Um, and now she's that, like, who does Chippy report to? <laughs> No, it's just that 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 I think might have been the biggest thing because you know she's seen Chippy, so it's even more exciting than Santa because she knows Chippy, you know. So, um, so and beyond that, Chippy, mm-hmm. you know, Chippy's different for every family, but for us, my um, husband just sort of moves him around throughout the day. So, <laughs> uh huh. I think so that's like, what you're supposed to do, right? Not really. I mean, you're. I mean. So the way they do it is that you're not supposed to touch him because then the kids aren't allowed to touch him. So then they won't, I don't know, do some <laughs> things. To, or he ends up in there. I don't know what. But, um, yeah, so um, my husband used to move it around. Uh-huh. And um, and then that would be so exciting. And then when they couldn't find Chippy, they were really worried. And they'd be wandering around the house. Chippy! Chippy! Did he and ever so, answer? Yeah. No. And... Honestly, my mother-in-law was a little freaked out by Chip. I think she kind of resented, you know, the intrusion. It's <laughs> like that Chippy. He's just really, <laughs> really. Weird. I see. I don't have kids, so I don't really I, like. And this is a new Christmas tradition thing. I think, like in the past couple of years, that's popped up. This Elf on the Shelf, but yeah, I don't really get it. <laughs> so they love it. The kids they love, it. love it. I find it yes. creepy. Yeah. So you're like my mother-in-law. Yeah, to me, it's like we're just getting our kids ready for the NSA just to be in everybody's house. Well, I was going to say, I guess it is like he's watching you right now. They're all watching now. you. They're watching you. You know? And, well, and like, the song is about Santa knowing if you're naughty or nice. I, I always assumed he was just personally watching, creeping through the window. But now he's got all these spies in every household. I know. It's getting worse. It's really getting worse. Like they're just not making toys anymore. Now he's got to have a network of spies. Right. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how much I trust the Santa Claus. And I don't know how how kids sort of reconcile the fact that there are elves on the shelf in all the bookstores and stuff. <laughs> like, like it, do you think that you know. registers with them? They're like, oh yeah, here they are, all the elves. Like, oh, someone bought this, and then what? It's magic after that. <clears throat> yeah. Maybe that's what it is. Just magic after that. It's like so, Toy Story anyway. or something. Right. 
I don't right. know. I don't know how it works. Yes, that's what it is. That's what it is. We'll have that's you ask your kids about this, especially uh, Chloe, who now knows the the awful truth. I know. I know. I, I'll see how she is tonight. <laughs> but, <laughs> but your seven year old hasn't reacted yet. Like she hasn't. She hasn't hit it, right? He Miles. Oh, um, Miles. Okay. So Miles. You know what? Has he been informed by Chloe? No, and he is so far from that. Like. <laughs> In like what way? Intellectually. <laughs> I mean, like, He's like, I'm, I, no. He Santa would never, ever even question it. I mean, Chloe has basic, she's that kind of kid where she's questioned it from the beginning. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's a little melancholy. It's a little, but, um, you know, the first. the whole time, this whole operation. Yeah, she just is like, I don't know. And so, you know, the first time I will, you know, I said, Chloe, did the tooth fairy come? She's I don't even know if it's real. So I don't think it came. <laughs> it's like, can we check? <laughs> I think it did. Like, okay. I, there's Let's supposed to be check. evidence. I think it probably did. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, periodically she would. <laughs> She's like making it not fun for you. You took the time to like sneak in and put a quarter under her pillow. <laughs> I know. It's like, where's the excitement? You know, the joy, <laughs> the innocence. <laughs> she's like no no mom no she's not like that yeah she, she's not she sees through you unfortunately <laughs> she's i don't know maybe it's a therapist thing or something i don't so know when you got this note how did you react i yeah i i i, I did question it i did try to kind of change my <clears throat> uh try to be less perfectionistic less evaluative with uh-huh. her you know yeah, just a little easier. Like, okay, well, you know, whatever. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Either way, whatever. Even yeah. has she noticed the change at all? I don't know. That was like a few years ago. Uh huh. So, um, I, I mean, I think I made some very, you know, some adjustments, some important adjustments. But mm-hmm. yeah, the proof isn't there. So, so. but is she still uh, very intellectually, intellectually curious? And uh, I, I don't want to say skeptical, but but she's very uh, analytical. She is analytical. It sounds yeah, she, like she's analytical. She's never been. Um, she's not ditzy. She was never one of those kids that was like giggly and like th- throwing herself all over the ground and like wrestling people. <laughs> <you know? laughs> uh huh. You know, she was always pretty. And like, talk about you know, she was a tough audience in terms of you know, like making her laugh. Oh yeah. Or make. You know how, you know, parent, you know, adults try to make kids smile and stuff sure. like, hi, how are you? You know, you do that stuff and she just looks at you like, is that all you've got? <laughs> She's like, like humans don't talk that way. I know. It's like, try again. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, she, oh, you said she reads a lot of books, right? Yeah, she reads a lot of books. Yeah. Uh, and like, are they all at that level? Like she understands everything in your book? You know what? I've been re I I've been reading her my parts of my book already, so I think she's probably had time to kind of, you know, figure out the ideas mm-hmm. a little bit. I mean, she was involved in me titling the book. Oh, really? Of course, everyone was involved in me titling the book. I was totally I had no I just was so this was such a difficult problem for me. But um, but you know, I would I would suggest a title to her. Like, well, what about this? You, mom, that's not intriguing. <laughs> Okay. That's not intriguing. Like, that's true. It's not. 
Well, like you're 10. What, what do you, Fine. come on. Cross that out. That was like when she was eight. <laughs> you know, I've been working on this book for a really long time. Yeah. So you've been working on this book for a while. Three years. Wow. That, yeah, that's a good amount of time. It's a good amount of time. I mean, the proposal itself, uh-huh. just to try to get a publisher for the book was the, the year, the first year. Oh, yeah. So, so let's talk about that process because I've never written a book <clears throat> or tried to get it published. What was what was that like? You know, I um, for some reason, it was just my birthday a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, and I just decided that I wasn't going to wait until my kids were old and stuff that this needed to happen. And, um, so I, you know, I've been doing this work for a long time and I would see parents and, um, there were sort of two issues that I saw over and over again. And one was that it felt like the adult adoptees weren't ready for adulthood. Mm -hmm. Peter Pan syndrome. Yes. But like, it's a scary world. So like, really like, that's a scary thing not to be ready and be kind of like thrust out there. Um, are you sure they weren't just millennials? They are millennials. I, I say that as a millennial. <laughs> like, is that is that specifically like an adoption thing or is it just a generational thing? Well, I don't know because what I'm talking about is the turmoil that adoptees have about it. Mm. I mean, I would I would think that millennials don't really mind being uh, taking their time, you know, getting to that like pure adulthood stage. Mm-hmm. But um, but the people I work with are very upset about it. And they're like not they're like, you know, sort of failing out of college or, mm. you know, just not making like not surviving out there. OK. Kind of thing. Yeah. And um, and then I was also seeing that um, adoptive parents and teens were having trouble getting along. Now, I know that's a teen thing, but part, um, of, it, yeah. part of it, part of it. But yeah. then there's that whole overlay of you weren't my, you never felt, you know, they sort of dredge up all of those old feelings that mm-hmm. um, might have been put to to the side yeah. for a while. So any negative feelings that they felt about their adoptive parents over the past four years tend to surge up that senior year. Of high school? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So parents and I only I sort of noticed this through the work you know is that parents would come to me I feel like we haven't gotten any you know the the, the like if I had been working with them since freshman year let's say and then senior year they say I feel like we're, we're back where we started I feel like this is the same thing mm-hmm. that it was and after enough parents said that I sort of realized that you know that's what happens that everything gets dredged up senior year hmm do you think that's the confluence of all those issues <clears throat> and yeah. coming to terms with their adulthood at the same time yeah. Yeah. It's sort of like reckoning day. Reckoning day. <laughs> as soon as they graduate, they're like, oh, wait, I have to be like, like an adult now. This yeah. Is, like I'm going into the real world. Yeah. It's scary. It's really scary. Sure. Like, can um, be, I think, for a lot of know. people. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, I guess the other thing was that um, it felt like there weren't many books for parents of adopted teens. Mm-hmm. That there are two books, and they're great books, but, you know, two is not enough yeah. for a desperate parent who feels like they're losing their <clears throat> their relationship or their connection, you know, right. with their child. So, yeah. Yeah. And a lot, I feel like a lot of those things, uh, you know, that's a crucial part of people's lives, especially young adults, that they can carry through adulthood. And so... When they end up do going to therapy later, it's all going to stem to those kinds of things, especially with their relationship with their parents and all those feelings they've been harboring over, 
years. Mm-hmm. Um, what what has your research kind of shown in terms of how that manifests out as adults? Yeah, so I think my concern was that, um, you know, when adoptees leave for college, they don't really ever reconnect with their parents. You know, they might keep in touch and stuff. You know, it's not that they abandon them, you know, necessarily, mm-hmm. but that they don't really tell them anything and they aren't really close. Hmm. You know, and that they'll say, you know, things like I was thinking about searching or I was thinking about this or I'm going through this. Have you talked to your parents? No. You know, Mm -hmm. and um, and so I, you know, I I know that the best sort of or not best, but the optimal case scenario is if um, parents and kids can stay connected for the long haul, Mm -hmm. you know, like through the teenhood, through adulthood. Not necessarily close, you know, to, you know, the relationship changes, but still connected. Well, so how connected do you think? Like, uh, obviously, nobody wants their mother living with them in their house and <laughs> cooking dinner for them. I'm sure no wives want that. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, like phone call not once right, a week not- and not just like a Christmas card once a year. Not necessarily involved, <clears throat> more involved, mm-hmm. um, but um, but that each, but that like the teen and the parent both feel like it's a positive relationship, mm-hmm. and that it's sort of a positive part of their life, you know. So, mm-hmm. um, and I've seen that shift. I've seen that shift from kids or teens coming in and talking about how much contempt they have for their parents, or how much they disrespect or disregard their parents, either emotionally or their rules or whatever. And then to have that shift over where they respect them. And it's not that they tell them everything now, you know, but they respect them and they um, love them, you know, so. So I I get a lot of uh, parents and and people who write into me and asking for advice on raising uh, adoptees, especially in the in the teenage years when those things do get contentious and uh, the relationship gets a little bit more strained. What? How? How do parents decipher between what would be considered a regular teenage issue and hormones and uh, an adoption issue? You know, I think I think it really is a little bit like a recipe. You know, when you mix adoption and teenhood, it becomes something somewhat different than either thing would be alone, Mm. you know? Um, So, but when we think about teenhood, I mean, really one of the big things about teenhood is puberty and the fact that, you know, someone is technically able to like have sex and recreate and stuff like that. And so that brings up a lot of stuff and, and, um, and um, uh, I'm trying to think. Um, Yeah. So, um, so that brings up a lot of stuff in terms of, identifying with the birth mom in ways that um, they couldn't before because now they can actually imagine themselves in the situation that the birth mom was in Mm. and they couldn't really imagine themselves in it before. They might have had questions, they might have had feelings, but they couldn't exactly um, imagine it. So that's that I think is pretty evocative for teens Mm -hmm. Um, for adopted teens and then I think the whole survival issue is just amplified, right? So, you know, teens feel like they're just trying to get along, you know, they're just trying to fit in and, you know, um, make it through, you know, there's so many safety risks anyway. And then when we think about the adoption story, I mean, really the adoption story is sort of a survival story too. You know, the reason that we worry about being, feeling abandoned or being abandoned is not because we worry about being alone. It's because we worry that we're, we're, we're vulnerable and like mm-hmm. sort of not going to make it, you know, somehow. Well, nobody um, wants to feel that. 
No, I know that's a horrible experience, right? So, <laughs> so, um, so they have twice as much reason to want to be part of the group and want to yeah. be part of the crowd because everyone knows there's strength in numbers and it's hard to feel empowered alone. Mm-hmm. So when parents talk about, um, talk to their kid about, look, you know, you don't have to do what they do. You know, you don't have to worry. You know, you can just be your own person. Who cares what they think? That's true. I mean, that's not wrong or ba- bad advice necessarily, but that's not where they're at at all. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that leaves, I, I think parents intentionally, leave, not intentionally, sorry, unintentionally leave out the empathy. That's not mm. empathic thing to say. You know, sure. the empathic thing is like, yeah, it's really hard because, you know, you want to feel comfortable and you want to feel like you're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's and it's hard to do both. It's hard to have your own identity and also feel like you're going to be okay and feel like, you know, part of the group and that you're going to be safe in the group. Mm-hmm. Is that what you recommend uh, the parent, how parents should approach these issues? Yeah. Have you found that that helps a lot? Uh, have you heard any feedback from from parents? Well, I've seen it. I mean, so the, there are four kind of areas. One is unrescuing. One is setting adoption-sensitive limits. One is having the connected conversations. And then the fourth one is envisioning the future. Mm-hmm. And um, so the connecting conversations is uh, close to my heart because that's the one that I'm the most involved in, you know? I mean, they're not usually setting all the limits in my room, you know, with, like right. and stuff like that. So um, I've gotten to see a lot of conversations that, and some have gone well and some haven't. And I've also had to been able to have a lot of conversations um, and experience it myself, you know, what works and what doesn't. And my goal is really, you know, as you mentioned, one of the worst things is to feel alone. So one of my first goals for families is for, to try to help adoptees feel less alone. Mm -hmm. And the way they do that is through empathy, but not the kind that parents, and I include myself in that, that we sort of think that we're empathizing and we might feel empathic, but it's not coming across. Mm. So then the conversation sort of goes south at some point. The mom, you know, the mom, usually it's the mom. Um, the mom is really distressed. What happened? You know, I was just trying to talk to her about this. And then the, the teen's like, oh, forget it. You know, you you don't, you don't know what you're talking about. That's right, not going to work. It. That's not what, yeah. yeah. Um, and no one knows why the conversation didn't happen. You know, why it didn't, why it didn't go better. And so mm. then that causes some fear of even talking because they, they worry that it'll make it worse. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I do hit pretty hard on the empathy piece and, and that it's something that I think in a way, although we might feel empathic, doesn't necessarily come naturally to parents. Mm. Is that something that they can work on? Yeah. And you know, um, the way that they can work on it is in trying to access their own feelings of, whatever their child is feeling and not their own feelings as in look what I overcame and it was hard for me and I overcame it and I know you can overcome it. Not that kind of thing, mm-hmm. but more just staying with the feeling and remembering the feeling itself. You know, um, mm-hmm. when I first started doing talks and stuff, I would, I would ask this question of think about a time that you felt different in some way. And part of my goal is that, you know, just to, to reiterate that feeling different is always hard. Mm-hmm. You know, no matter what the difference is, whether it's adoption, whether it's single being, you know, you know, queer, whether it's whatever, it's it's always difficult. And then I ask them to think about a situation from their own life when they felt different. Mm-hmm. And then the conversation totally changes. Hmm. You know, it no longer becomes something like um, sort of detached, not detached, but just kind of um, 
like, well, I don't know what to do when Bobby does this. You know, it becomes more like they're sitting next to them. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly the adoptee feels less alone. And that's the, that's the goal, right? That's the goal. That's the first goal. Yeah. What are the other goals? (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, if we go back, like, so with the unrescuing, Uh the goal for adoptive parents is for them to stop rescuing their adopted teen, meaning Mm. taking them out of situations that actually might be productive and help them cope with life. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so um, I think a little bit. Yeah, exactly. I mean, how, why, you know, it's hard to send someone out without any practice. I mean, you have to have practice at these things, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, otherwise, I feel like it's almost, it can mm-hmm. almost inadvertently be another form of abandonment if you haven't really prepared them and then they're in this position to be an adult. Mm-hmm. And even if they're not ready and then parents say, well, look, he's just, she's just not ready. You know, why do I need to rush her? She can take her time. Yes, she can take her time, but all of her friends are going off to college and all of her friends have jobs and all of her friends have relationships. Right. And that stinks, you know, to be the one who isn't there. Yeah. You know, cause they like try to compensate by overprotecting. Yes, they do. Is that something they- that you see a lot of? Yeah. And I, and I think, um, I not, I mean, obviously there's the helicopter parent and, you know, it's sort of a general issue, but I I do think that adoptive parents are more susceptible to doing this. Not that everyone does. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I use this example of those baby sea turtles, you know, those baby sea turtles, you know, how they all come out of the egg and they like migrate to the water and stuff and how they're sort of endangered, you know, and they're like really small and birds and whatever. And, and, um, so something that people do sometimes is they pick up the turtle and, and bring him to the sea. Yes. Yes, exactly. And to think about that because it, 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 it makes the person feel like they're ensuring mm-hmm. the turtle's success or something, or like that the turtle will be okay. But really if the turtle doesn't walk across the sand, they're not going to be strong enough to survive in the water. Hmm. Right. So then they're actually kind of handicapping them. They're hurting hurting them. Yeah, they're compromising them. And so um, it's it's a false sense of security that I think parents use because it it seems more doable in the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, But it it does it does hurt them in the end. And then and then it comes back to haunt them. And then it's much harder to kind of deal with it. Yeah. It's interesting that you bring that up. So. This is a movie that I will recommend to you not to watch with your children. <laughs> but yes. it's a fantastic movie. I just discovered it. And it's one of my favorite movies I've seen this past year called Captain Fantastic. And Viggo Mortensen's in it. And it's this whole thing where he's like raising his kids uh, with his wife who ends up passing away. But they're like living off the land outside of like Seattle in like the woods. And they have like a bus full of literature and like encyclopedic knowledge and they're like top physically fit athletes but they have like zero social skills basically because the only people they interact with is each other and so okay the son ends up the mother before she passes helps the oldest son like apply for all these colleges and he gets into like harvard yale princeton like all the top tier schools And he feels completely unprepared for it because he has no social skills. Yeah. So like all that physical fitness and all that knowledge was 
like for not basically because he still felt like an outsider the whole time and it's they Aww. were trying to protect him so much and the whole family by by taking him outside of society which they saw as like very weak mm-hmm. and in fact they've actually hurt him in the end yeah i know it's 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 it, yeah it's fascinating yes so that's what, that's what that reminded me of Hi- highly recommend the movie if you ever get a chance to watch <laughs> when when did it actually come out last year actually Captain Fantastic. Captain Fantastic. Okay. Great film. Top, top recommendation. Definitely. <laughs> I'm on it. And so there were, there were two other uh, things. So we, we, Rescuing was the second one. Uh, rescuing, unrescuing is the first one. The reason or I unrescuing. call it un, Unrescuing is because um, the opposite of rescue is abandon. Mm-hmm. So you can't do the opposite of rescue necessarily because then you feel like you're abandoning them. And mm-hmm. I think parents often do feel like they're abandoning them. And then adoptees feel sort of abandoned too. You know, so they're, they, sometimes it can feel like it's either one or the other. So mm-hmm. I'm suggesting that to look for that third option of empowering. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I sort of go through that with parents to help them do that. And I think for adoptees too, you know, the rescue narrative is a part of our history. I mean, we were sort of saved from whatever well that's know, that's further. the narrative right that well we were sort of though i mean i mean i mean you know i don't think we should be saved now you know we're fine now but <laughs> yeah. um it shouldn't continue to happen but that was sort of we were kind of rescued from a pretty difficult situation usually mm-hmm. um and so i do think that haunts adoptees a little bit of do i still am i what kind of person am I? Am I a victim? Am I someone who's empowered? Am I proactive? Am I am I capable? Mm-hmm. You know. So I think that that's part something that um, adoptees have to live down, continue to live down. Mm-hmm. So how how do parents? How can parents empower their kids? Not by bringing them to the ocean when they're supposed to be working out right. in the sand. Right. Exactly. They just try to. Right. I I know. Well. Um, you know, they have to stop bringing, doing stuff for them, you know, like bringing their clothes and books and homework to them all the time or, you know, calling their friend and writing an excuse note for school or, you know, doing all this stuff that, you know, really, I mean, if we look back at our own childhoods, that's the stuff that we did ourselves and that's how we learn to be more responsible and like tougher, mm-hmm. you know, in ter- you know, building a coping ability to cope with difficult things, you know, so, Yeah. And what's, what happens after empowerment? So, after, right, after they start unrescuing. Um, so, the next one is setting adoption-sensitive limits. Mm-hmm. And um, so, one of the things I talk about with that is that uh, is this issue of humiliation mm-hmm. for adoptees. That, um, that, you know, adoptees were really kind of in a position to be just hoping for the kindness of strangers. You know, that, you know, you know, once we're separated from that first family, it's just all bets are off. You know, it's like it's just a crapshoot, you know, and <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, the fact that that's that's part of our story, I think it, it um, can also haunt just adoptees and where there's still this feeling of they still need to make it so that strangers love them and that that they're sort of liked by everyone and that everyone thinks highly of them. And because they are dependent on the kindness of strangers or there's still a feeling mm. that 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 we are. And so um, there can be this, I think, humiliation piece that adoptive parents might miss um, of um, of adopted teens feeling humiliated 
uh, and so, um, for example, when parents are negotiating with their teens, like, mm-hmm. well, you know, if you do well in this test, you know, we'll, we'll shorten your grounding two days or something like that. <laughs> the baseline is they're grounded. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're grounded. So it's just a matter okay. of, you know. It's cutting and, down um, the sentence. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, but, um, but what parents often end up doing is that they, they negotiate. And so um, adoptees know this, you know, and so they try to push. Like, oh, could I get this? Or if I could get this, could I please get this? Mm-hmm. And it's a really um, humiliating experience for adoptees to, to, to sort of beg for something mm-hmm. from a parent. And, um, and I, I think it's especially humiliating for those of us who at one point were dependent on the kindness of strangers. And so I ask adoptive parents better to limit the sentence you know, the, than um, to um, negotiate. Mm. That what it is is what it is. So the other thing is this issue of contracts, which is also a thing, a big thing, right? That a lot of families, a lot of parents drop contracts with their kids about agreements, behavioral agreements, or what, mm-hmm. you know, the car or the phone or, you know, school or grades or something like that. And um, I, I definitely come out against contracts in this book. I've just never seen them work. If they worked, that would be fine. I don't have like a personal vendetta against them or something, but um, I, they just don't work. And in fact, given that adoptive parents are trying to kind of embrace their authority as parents, this this undermines it. It suggests to adopted teens that um, that adoptive parents can't count on their own voice to convey what they're doing. So they kind of lean on this contract. Well, the contract says this. It's like, can't you just say it? You know? So do you like, mean like as, ground rules when you say contract? Like, like yeah. you, know, you have to be home by 10 and uh, no driving or, after dark and... Oh, and and in it is the <laughs> or your phone will be taken away or oh, okay. blah 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 consequences yeah so yeah it doesn't work and for adoptees whose lives started with a contract I mean that's how you are a family is via a con- it's a legal binding agreement you know mm-hmm. so um, sometimes when adoptees get really upset they say things about the contract look our contract is up at when I'm eighteen <laughs> you know so, and um you know so I am out of here. Like my contract doesn't go until, you know, and I think they know that that's not true. Mm-hmm. But um, when things get hard, the contract kind of comes into play again. And I just don't think it's worth it, you know. So that that's that's another piece that I get into in that chapter. Do you think there's anxiety, like some uh, subconscious anxiety about the contract when they start getting to adulthood? I'm trying to culminate this now is like a. So they're starting to hit 18, then there's anxiety that the contract's going to end, but they were actually very comfortable in the contract. Mm-hmm. But now it's like null and void as soon as you hit 18. It's like, now what? Right. And so then they're sort of overcompensating. I was like, I don't need no contract. <laughs> you know, like, like kind of like, you know, forget this contract. I never needed it anyway. I don't, you know, I can't wait to leave. That's what they'll say. I can't wait to be on my own. I can't oh, wait to me. be out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't wait to leave. <laughs> So wait, do you, do you think you you can relate to the uh, mixed feelings about the contract, missing it, and also maybe wanting to move beyond it? Uh, I think I was good with the construct, I guess, of the contract until I, yeah, probably when I was 18. And then I was like, 
I got a car. I got a job. I'm going to go to college. I'm done. I'm done here. <laughs> I couldn't but, wait to get out. <laughs> <laughs> but did you, did you think about it as a, did you think about the contract? I don't know if my parents were the type that were like, we're going to take your phone away or we're going to do this or like, there, I don't think there was any uh, punitive measures in place that were contractual in nature that were like, this is going to happen if you do this. Like, these are the consequences. I know. No, no, no. I mean, the adoption contract. Like, did that ever kind of cross your mind? Uh, no, no, that's new to me. Mm-hmm. Not really, mm-hmm. at least not on a conscious level that mm-hmm. it was like, you know, this is a, a legal binding document. And then I don't know if there was like ever a fear. Maybe there was a subconscious fear when I was like younger. I think a lot of adoptees feel that when they're younger, they're like, Oh, if I don't act right, I could be sent back or mm-hmm. you know, somebody will come pick me up or I could be sent away or they'll just leave me here. There are probably right. a lot of adoptees, not on the conscious level, but on the subconscious level that feel that way. I'm not sure looking back I ever felt that way, but, you know, what do I know now? I'm like, <laughs> I'm That was like, a long time ago. It was a long time ago. <laughs> it's probably all way gone. Well, the, the contract, I think, is a somewhat modern thing because now we have, like, the whole phone fiasco and, like, other things, and a lot of it has to do with electronics. Yeah. Um, well, I have a lot of... Uh, friends who are parents who it's the same thing like they they make those contracts i'm going to take your phone away or i'm going to take the tablet away or whatever i have a buddy who's struggling with his kids because he's like you can either take a spanking you know his kids are younger you can take a spanking or i could take your nintendo away and he's like 10 out of 10 times that kid will take the spanking he's <laughs> 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 like i was like well pain is temporary and i guess he's learned that now <laughs> right it's like that's a no-brainer. Yeah, so, they they don't know. care. They're like, I want my phone. They're like, I want the Nintendo. They want all the electronics. <laughs> do you, do you think someday he'll stop offering the spanking? <laughs> uh, I assume option? I assume when the child is older that he may. <laughs> I I would hope that uh now he's, well I don't know I uh, I'm gonna be like maybe this maybe the spanking thing isn't working. You need to find something else. It doesn't seem exactly to be like how anything. many times have you had to you know spank him? So. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, the kids, they just, uh, I, yeah, it doesn't seem like they really care. <laughs> no, well, you know, I mean, I, I read a lot as a kid, and I can remember reading On the Banks of Plum Creek, that Laurie Ingalls Wilder book. Anyway, it's part of that series, the Little House in the Prairie series. Oh, okay. I remember reading it in one day, and I remember being sort of proud, although whatever, that I read the whole thing in one day, you know, it's like 360 pages or something or, you know, and I was like, I finished this book. But, um, I can tell you if I had a phone or an iPad or any sort of other thing, then that would not have happened. So yeah, it's, it's a loss. It's a loss for me, but cause you know, it's much harder, but. Well, when I was a kid, it was like, same kind of thing, except I did have electronics, right? Like I had Nintendo and I had a Game Gear and stuff. But if my parents were like, we're taking this away and you're going to go to your room, I also had plenty of books and comic books upstairs. <laughs> so I was very happy up there reading by myself too. I didn't have an issue. It wasn't really as much of a punishment as I think they thought it was. No, and I think I think it's taken parents a lot. It's like, go to your room. Okay. Yeah, it's my space. I'm fine with that. I know. I mean, I, maybe they should just say, like, go to my room, you know, so I could just, <laughs> or like sit in the bathroom or something like that, you know. Um, 
So yeah, I don't I don't send the kids up to the room because first of all, I forget. Let's just be honest. I mean, I forget why they're even up there or like where, like, you know, mm-hmm. um, I, I put them on the, this sounds really harsher than it actually is. But anyway, I used the step for timeouts. The step? The step, the stairs. The stairs. So, so they, like, they, go, they just have to sit there on the stairs? Yes. <laughs> Until when? <laughs> like, I couldn't tolerate it. It's just like a minute or two, like a few minutes. Oh, uh, okay. But they're like just like like do they hate it <laughs> you know what it's funny it was really um a bear in the beginning and um <laughs> but i just so that's one thing that i've learned from adoptive parents is that it's very important to have um actual consequences mm-hmm. not just like don't do that you know or that's right, wrong yeah. you know um anger is not <clears throat> in itself an, an effective intervention i've mm-hmm. learned so um <laughs> So, um, I, yeah, so I, I, um, put them on the step. And then when I was a staff member at, um, it was a reg- residential treatment facility in a camp setting. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, you know, they would do timeouts and they did timeouts with kids as old, like through 16, hmm. age 16. And it was pretty important. So yeah, I was, I became a fan of timeouts, you know, such a, of course, everyone has, there's such a variety of opinions about that. Well, yeah, but, I mean, and that goes back as as far as, you know, conditional behavioral psychology and cognitive therapy and all that goes. So, yeah. <laughs> behavioral conditioning. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I hate to compare kids to dogs, but I have dogs. <laughs> so, it's one of those things is like, you know, for my dogs, I can't just be like, go go sit over there. Like, I can, but you like for me, I'm like, I have to give them something else to do. That's uh-huh. not what they're currently doing. <laughs> So, I, like, I, I use that sometimes. I'm like, if I want somebody to stop doing something, I try to give them something else to do that's actually positive that they may be interested in, but it's not detrimental to whatever I'm trying to do. What would that be? I, I don't know. It depends on the person or the dog. <laughs> what? <laughs> Wait, have you have you um, done that with a person? Uh, I've done that with office mates. <laughs> Like recently, um, so one of my things is uh, we have Slack for work, which I don't like. I like I'm not I I'm not a fan of it, but it is good because it keeps all the people who want to text me about work stuff off of my text messages and my iMessages. Mm-hmm. And I had this guy in my office who would text me, and like it was a group chat that I couldn't leave, and he texted like 10 p.m. Or like on weekends and my messages, I'm like, are very precious to me. And so <laughs> I always think it's like, oh, somebody's texting me. It must be important or right. something. And it's always like some BS article about work. And I'm like, dude, it is like Saturday at 10 p.m. Or he texted <laughs> during the Super Bowl. He was texting during the Super Bowl and not about the Super Bowl. And I'm not a fan wow. of the Super Bowl, but I was watching it because I'm a normal American. And he was texting about work. And I'm like, guy. You need to get like I was like in my mind I was like shut up like stop please I know please for the love of God like nobody wants to hear about this at like 10 p.m. during the Super Bowl like right. even the commercials are precious during the Super Bowl okay right exactly so instead I was like you know have you tried using Slack it's literally meant for work for messaging about work and you can put as many articles as there and you want and people will see them from work. <laughs> 
And it's taken a couple of weeks, but he's finally, like the other day, he downloaded it and created his username and password and everything. And I had to tell him how to log in. But I haven't gotten one text from him since then. That's amazing. I was so happy because that's, I guess, like a practical thing that I was like, I need to take this behavior that I perceive as negative. He doesn't really care, but I need to turn and Mm -hmm. redirect it somehow. Right, that it's not working for you. So if there was another way, you know, then that's a good thing. Yeah, that's what I do. It works on my dogs. It works on my coworkers. (laughs) I assume it'll work on children. (laughs) Yeah, we're not that different. It makes sense. I mean, sometimes we kind of need boundaries a little bit. Yeah, well, that's uh, ultimately what that is about for me is is a boundary issue. Right. It's like at work, you know. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I you know for I, I have. Again, no no kids, <laughs> but I, I would assume that you could do something similar with with kids. Just kind of redirect the energy. You can, you can. Wait, how long have you been married? Uh, th- three years. Oh, just over three okay. years. Nice. It's sad I have to think about that. <laughs> it's like, hmm. Let's see. It's in that stage where it still feels very new, but also very old at the same time. <laughs> How long did you guys date before that? Or do you know? Uh, we were dating for four years, three years, four years. In 2010. Started in 2010. Okay. Summer of 2010. So we'll have been together for seven years this, this summer. Oh, that's a lot. Now, see, that's a lot. That's significant. That's a good amount of time. Yeah, that's legitimate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, back back to the book. <laughs> so yes, is there okay, is so, there anything else that you want to talk about 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 the book? Okay, wise. So um, I just want to say something about the fourth thing because I feel like it. I don't want to neglect. Wait, sorry, <clears throat> sorry. Um, the fourth thing. Mm-hmm. So the fourth thing is envisioning the future. Mm-hmm. And what I talk about is that adoptees are. Um, really up against it in terms of like even envisioning themselves as an adult because they don't see themselves in their adoptive parents. They may see themselves in their birth parents, but they usually would prefer not to go down that road because usually it's a pretty stressful, you know, draw, you know, there's been trauma and various things. And so they don't necessarily want to go in that way. Sometimes maybe crime or other things. So they don't want to do that. So they, it really is like walking in the dark, where they really have no idea who they could become or what they could do. Mm. And, you know, biological families, and I know this from my own um, family now, um, that, you know, you get a lot of information from your biological parents that like, oh, we both have this thing, so that makes sense. So I've thought about that, so I can help you with that. Or this is what it was like for me when I was young. Or, you know, now my daughter knows a little bit about what she might look like when she gets older. You know, it just helps you start to imagine it. Mm-hmm. And adoptees don't really have that. And so it really feels like they're kind of starting from scratch. And, and you know, when I talk to adoptees about this, they get this certain look in their eyes where they're like completely, they're not just scared. They're like not even there almost. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just really, really dazed. Just and like shrink um, into a hole. Right. Like I have no idea. You know, they just almost sort of disappear, <clears throat> you know. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, there's really kind of an abyss. And so I talk to parents about um really wanting to help adoptees understand their strengths and their style. Mm-hmm. So um, these aren't judgments. It doesn't have to mean, you know, it's just what they're, what they're good at. That's uniquely them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes things that are very different from their adoptive parents. 
And so to, to try to have adoptive parents comment on that and speak to that and to actively think with them about what, you know, what they could do with that or what they like about it or that they're good at this specific thing. So. All right. Is there any last minute things, uh, that, <laughs> tips, tips that you want to send out to, uh, or messages to adoptive parents or adoptees out there? Um, no, but, well, I, I think the biggest thing for adoptive parents is the, the, um, that it's not about reassurance anymore. So, um, that it's really about equipping them for the future. Mm-hmm. So that's the biggest thing for the teens. Yeah. Well, and kids in general, right? Like that's all, that's what it's all about. Right. I know. I mean, Making like sure how do they're ready that? once the, uh, the nest is empty as it were. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know about the, I, I, don't, I don't think that that nest thing works. <laughs> <laughs> you got to teach the kids to fly. You can't just kick them out of the nest. Okay. The nest is empty when the, yeah, okay, yeah, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like yeah. I almost had you. I almost I had I got to think about that. I know, it's so close. <laughs> it's almost there. <laughs> I'm not a therapist. But. All right, so no. <laughs> what, is the, what, what is the title of the book that was, that was renamed and named and renamed by yes. everybody and your daughter included? Right. It's Parenting in the Eye of the Storm, The Adoptive Parent's Guide to Navigating the Teen Years. All right. Is that the final? That's the final title. That, it's published. It's, it's published. It's on. Okay. It's, on. it's totally on. So that's good. <laughs> it's coming out in a week, right? Yeah. On the 21st. Well, a week as we're recording it. It's going to be very much. It's going to be much closer when the episode goes out. Well, it, well, because so on, it might be too, but I don't know about the timing, but, um, you know, Amazon offers a pre price pre-order price guarantee so if it goes down a little bit before after you order but before it comes out then Mm -hmm. you get the lowest price whatever the lowest price is all right that's exciting so it's going to be on amazon it's on amazon it's on amazon barnes and noble you can hear my dog to be determined yeah i do hear them (laughs) yeah i'm hoping that they're barking at a pizza guy and that means pizza's gonna be here (laughs) (laughs) you're hoping that it's good news that's my hope (laughs) Well, it's never, they never bark at, at thankfully, uh, so far, anything bad. It's usually oh, just, good. The, it's the mailman, the FedEx guy, and the UPS guy. Those are their mortal enemies. Or an animal outside. Yeah. Or um, one, they will announce one of the delivery guys. That's hopefully what they're doing. <laughs> Do you have two dogs? I have two dogs, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. They're good. They're good dogs. Anyways, so <laughs> that is the name and the date that it's coming out. Yep. All right. I'm very excited about this. I'm going to read it. Me too. <laughs> you, sure? <laughs> you, you sure it won't with, scare with you daughter? off, though, from, you know? Uh, well, I, I don't know. It, for, well, it'll be the only uh, the, the only parenting book I'll ever read. So <laughs> I'll say that. <laughs> Wait, I'll, until you become a parent or just ever? Ever. <laughs> ever. Uh, <laughs> That's it. Maybe what to expect when you're expecting. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. Those two. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good one. Yeah. That's one I've heard of. So, <laughs> it's pretty popular. <laughs> it, it's pretty popular. I've heard of it. Yeah. It's a movie yeah. for some reason. Okay. No. It is. Is Did it we, a good movie? I, I don't know. It had Elizabeth okay. Banks in it. I know that. Okay. <laughs> right. Can people find you online? Do you have a social media presence? I do. Um, but my website is www.adoptiontherapyma.com. Okay. So that's 
the main thing. Does the so. MA stand for Massachusetts? It does. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that makes it easier to remember. It does. Okay. Uh, and, and anything on, on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook? Not, not Instagram. Twitter, yes. Facebook, yes. And LinkedIn, too. Oh, but LinkedIn, yes. LinkedIn. I mean, there's that. But I don't have that. I don't have it offhand, on hand, That's exactly okay. what my thing is. But You can um, send it to me and I'll, I'll put it out there later. Also, um, I can also plug the con conference, too. Ah, the Korean, yes. the Korean American Adoptee Network Conference, which is in Pittsburgh in June. Oh, okay, for, coming up. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the twenty, whatever that Friday is. I can't remember, with like June twentieth or something. I, um, I don't know. That's <laughs> you tell yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. But it it is going to be amazing. So did you I, go last year? To check. Well, I'm on the advisory council. Oh, okay. Um, and I've been on it for like five years. Or something like that. I have no idea really how long, but um, and um, so I do speak at it and stuff. I'm talking about um, mental health. Awesome. So there's that. Yeah. Okay. Well, people uh, come out to the con conference in Pittsburgh mm-hmm. sometime. It was that sounds like the third <laughs> weekend in June, maybe. Yes. Yes. Okay. And uh, you can visit what is the con website? I think it's K A A N E T. Et.org. <laughs> I think so. Okay. We'll go with that. that. I'll look it up later and, and yeah. correct as okay. needed. <laughs> All right. Well, Katie, thank you very much for coming on the show. Uh, we didn't get to talk about you too much, but we talked about the book a whole lot. Was this, this, so it wasn't, I feel like this one wasn't as, as therapeutic as some of my other episodes. <laughs> Maybe it was more therapeutic for me. How, how do you we'll feel see. about it? We'll see. I feel good. Good. I feel good. Yeah. All so, right. that, you know. <laughs> Excellent. Well, everybody go out and, and and get the book and you'll get a price guarantee on Amazon in the future. If you order now, order it now. <laughs> All right. Thanks right for now. coming on the show. Thank you. All right, bye. Bye. All right. And how was that? That was a good conversation. I learned a lot. That was awesome. That was very good. You know, I don't do the, the therapy thing, but I'm not going to besmirk people who do do the therapy thing. I think you should go if you're having issues. And if you are an adoptive parent or a teenager that needs to work on your communication with each other and stuff like that, you should definitely check out Katie's book and uh, maybe go see her if you're in the Massachusetts area. I, I don't know if that's, you know, that's, that's a good plug, right? Check out her book. Parenting in the Eye of the Storm, The Adoptive Parent's Guide to Navigating the Teen Years. That's a, that's a compelling and intriguing title, Parenting in the Eye of the Storm. I like that. So let's check it out. Let's check. I'm looking at the Amazon page right now. You can get it for $10 on Kindle. That's nothing. 10 bucks, And they have a pre-order price guarantee on paperback. You can get it for $16.03 is what I'm looking at right now. That's an 11% savings on the, uh, the cover price of that book. Pretty awesome. Check out the description. It says, Adult adoptee and family therapist Katie Nafsker shares her personal and professional wisdom in this guide to help adoptive parents remain a calm parental influence in the midst of the stormy and erratic teen behavior. Behavior. Well, let me tell you, for the guy who's directing the teen mentorship, uh, for AKA, that could be true. This is my, this, I'm going to have to pick up this book. Even for mentoring, this guide describes the essential skills you need to help your adopted teen confidently face the challenges of growing up and outlines four key goals for adopted parents. To move from rescuing to responding, to set adoption-sensitive limits and ground rules, to have connecting conversations, and to help your teen envision the future. 
Parenting in the Eye of the Storm contains invaluable insights for adoptive parents and simple strategies you can use to prepare your adopted teen for the journey journey ahead and strengthen the family bond in the process. It provides answers, guidance, and understanding, working as a roadmap through the tempestuous teenage years. I like that. Tempestuous teenage years. So you got a little bit of that, you know, uh, in the in the show today. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't get the book. I'm sure there's all kinds of cool stuff in there, like what to do when uh, your daughter realizes that the, the tooth fairy is not real. And then the whole paradigm of the Easter Bunny and uh, 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 Santa Claus and Hanukkah Harry and all the others kind of like goes away. What do you do about that? I don't know. But you should definitely check that out. I bet that book has the answers. Uh, I will be back next month with more interviews for you, more conversations for you, the listener. I'm very happy that you guys are continuing to download the show and uh, keep listening to uh, all these important conversations that I'm having with these amazing people who have great stories to share. If you have stories to share, then you should get in contact with me, Mike McDonald, the Rambler, at therambleradhd at gmail.com. Or you can go to my Facebook page and message me there. Uh, I try to answer very quickly, although I'm, I haven't been on Facebook a lot lately. Uh, but that's on Facebook.com slash TheRamblerADHD. Or you can follow me on Twitter at TheRamblerADHD and just send me a tweet. You can tweet at me. I'll most likely respond. That's the one that I respond to the quickest lately. I'm on Twitter a lot, I guess, more than the Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and the other things that I, you know, I'm probably getting too old to even look at anymore. I'm too old for this. I don't understand. I don't know. I'm not that old, but I feel old sometimes. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. In any case, you guys have a great month. I will talk to you later. And uh, enjoy enjoy yourselves. Don't overdo it. Hope you didn't overdo it on St. Patty's Day. Okay? Don't do that. Music today provided by the Belt Needle Drop Records and a collective effort. And you can find all that on SoundCloud. SoundCloud, just like you can find this podcast, the last two episodes on SoundCloud, and you can subscribe on iTunes and Google Play or wherever you get podcasts. I'll talk to you guys next time. Uh, catch you later, Gator. Bye. And where are we going?